He was working with his father and Kevin's job was to be the boogeyman. Kevin actually built a strong connection with his dog in being the intruder. Um, the dog was very focused on him, very connected to him. And the best part about it was that Kevin really felt a, a true bond with this specific dog. Um, but the problem became that every time he would enter the home, the dog would do exactly what it was supposed to do, which was to bite him. Um, again, he was in a protective bite suit. He would not release Kevin on his father's command. And so when the dog wouldn't release, Kevin's father told him to hit the dog with a training baton. And Kevin, in that moment, just felt so disconnected as he did what his dad said and, and hit him to get him to release the bite toy. And he just had this feeling of, you know, here I had this, this great relationship, this true connection with this dog. And, you know, it felt so wrong to, to use that kind of force. Um, and so he really took a step back in that moment and sat down and kind of thought about what it was he was doing, um, his father's model and really started to question a lot of things at that point. Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody to another Doggy Dan Podcast. And today, I am, as always, I'm super excited. We have a wonderful lady with us, Amanda Matoski, who is a natural dog training practitioner. And in 2014, she read Kevin Behan's book, Your Dog is Your Mirror, uh, which was recommended to her by her trainer, rising canine dog trainer. And his unique training model changed her life forever. And since that time, she's trained under Kevin and his apprentices, utilizing their mentorship to learn the art of building true rapport with any dog. In 2018, she left her 10-year career and committed to training dogs full-time, and she's currently in the process of designing and opening a dog park and resort modeled after the principles of the natural dog training model put together by Kevin Behan. Amanda, welcome to the Doggy Dan podcast. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, great to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, we we were hoping to have Kevin on the podcast, but uh, for those of you who don't know, Kevin sadly passed away in uh, early uh, early 2020. So Amanda, who's a, a practitioner and studied under Kevin, is more than happy to share with us uh, the phenomenal method that Kevin brought to planet Earth. Are you happy to just jump straight in and tell us what you love about Kevin's uh, method? I've read his book and I love, love his approach, but uh, I'd love to hear from, uh, from your mouth what you, what you loved about it. Of course. Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing that jumped out at me and that really like pulled on my heartstrings was um, his approach was so different than any other training model I had read about. Um, he essentially, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just focus on the, the surface level of how do I change my dog's behavior to fit what I'm looking for? Or how do I adjust, um, the dog's behavior? He actually dives really deep in and says, um, you know, he asks deeper questions, you know, why would my dog want to perform this behavior? Um, you know, is my dog working with me or am I just, 
you know, am I just controlling him and making him do what I want? Or are we a team? Are we in this together? Is this a real relationship with my dog? Um, and I always wanted the relationship. So that's, that's what really connected me to Kevin's work. Um, and of course I was always very interested in behavior. Um, I studied human psychology, um, and I just found a lot of the answers to the questions that I had about both human and dog behavior in Kevin's work. Totally. hundred percent. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with, uh, with what you've said then. Recently, I've been chatting to a lot of people who have been sort of saying, do we just, exactly that, do we just want to kind of control these dogs any in any way possible? Or what? Are we wanting to really learn from them as much as control them? And uh, I think that's where Kevin was coming from. Can you can you share a little bit, maybe um, an, a story or an example of s- sort of the sort of stuff that Kevin um, used to kind of share with you or show you or? Yeah, um, I'd love to share actually a story that he I got to hear from him um, a bunch of times. Uh, it was early in his career. He was working for his father, who uh, John Bean, who actually was a war dog trainer in World War II. Um, he also trained the Macy's uh, guard dogs for the Macy's in New York City. Um, and he basically was one of the pioneers of bringing dog training to the commercial scene. Um, especially in America, as far as, as, as selling it like a commodity and, and, you know, training before then wasn't really, we had working dogs, they were trained for specific purposes. Um, but there was just starting to be that transition of dogs moving into the true domestic household, um, that we see now a lot of, um, as opposed to, to the working dogs. So he was working for his father, um, and his father used, um, dominance or force training, um, as was pretty much the, the standard back in the day that, yes, the standard. Thank you. Um, that was the gold standard back then. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, spare the rod, spoil the dog, I guess, um, could certainly be a, a catchphrase from then. So he was working with his father and, um, he had a moment when he was working with a specific dog, the dog had, um, he wasn't good at outing the, the bite toy. Um, so an example would be Kevin's job was to be the boogeyman. Um, so his dad would, his father would have one of the German shepherd protection dogs inside the house and Kevin's job would be to make noise, uh, rile him up, um, and basically, you know, be the, the intruder. And so, Kevin actually built a strong connection with this dog in being the intruder. Um, the dog was very focused on him, very connected to him. Um, and the best part about it was that Kevin really felt a, a true bond with this specific dog. Um, but the problem became that every time he would enter the building, enter the home, and the dog would do exactly what it was supposed to do, which was to to bite him. Um, again, he was in a protective bite suit. Uh, he would not release Kevin on his father's command. Um, and so of course we can see why this would be a problem in a trained protection dog. Um, you, you want the dog to release on command when there's no longer a threat of danger. And so when the dog wouldn't release, Kevin's father told him to hit the dog, uh, with a, a training baton. And Kevin in that moment just felt so disconnected as he did what his dad said and, and hit him to get him to release the bite toy. 
And he just had this feeling of, you know, here I had this, this great relationship, this true connection with this dog. And, you know, it felt so wrong to, to use that kind of force um, and, and use a, a, a method like that to get it to cooperate. Um, and so he really took a step back in that moment and sat down and kind of thought about what it was he was doing, um, his father's model, and really started to question a lot of things at that point. Yeah. So can you give us an example of the sort of things that Kevin used to kind of encourage his students, yourself included? It must have been wonderful being with Kevin and learning from the great man himself. What, what sort of stuff did he actually say to you? This is, this is how we need to be working with the dogs. What sort of stuff was it? Um, so, uh, at a lot of his, uh, row conferences or even just sitting around his, his, uh, farm kitchen table in Vermont, um, one thing that would always come up or that he liked to talk about was how the relationship between dog and man evolved. Um, and that was a really big focus of him, um, and of his work is, you know, what really motivated us to come together? How did dog become man's best friend? And so what he would talk about or how he would explain is um, thousands of years ago, and I mean, they're discovering even more recently, I think the, the highest uh, year count is up to 50,000 years ago, they have domesticated dogs. Um, and so what he was able to decipher in his own research was that dogs are essentially wolves that chose to hunt with men. Um, you know, we both had this problem of, okay, we're putting in all this work to get to take these prey animals down. But if we work together, we can actually take down more and bigger prey. Um, you know, wolves were already doing this by hunting in packs. They already understood this concept. Uh, and and men was pretty, man was pretty successful in doing the same. Um, you know, the, the larger group that you hunted with, the, the bigger a prey animal you could bring down, the longer you could feed your, your tribe or your community. Um, and so, you know, knowing or understanding that that's how we originally connected was really important to how he developed his training method and model. Um, understanding that we came together and chose to be social and work together and organize together around the hunt. Um, so that was very important was the hunt. Yeah, joint a joint team, uh, a team approach to things rather than one bossing the other one around. I guess exactly. Yes. So, can you give us an example, maybe, of where Kevin kind of said, "This is how you could do it, but this is the sort of way we we like to go about it," or an actual practical tip or technique that the listeners could put into place or or try? Of course. So. Um... After the incident with his father, he actually, the first thing he did was go and watch dogs play together. He spent a lot of time just quietly observing dogs and how they moved together. And he developed um, what he, he called or end up calling the five core exercises. Um, so this, these actually aren't really discussed that much in Your Dog is Your Mirror, um, so much as the, the overall theory. But this is the practical hands-on method. Um, that he taught me and, and his other apprentices um, and other owners of how to kind of fix any underlying issue that the dog was having. You know, if a, if a client comes to, to Kevin or 
would come to Kevin, come to me and say, you know, oh, my dog is, is destroying my couch when I go to work, or my dog is barking and lunging at other dogs when we're out on a walk, or my dog is, um, you know, getting aggressive with humans. He's starting to bite humans. He seems very fearful. No matter what the behavioral issue was, um, the method was always the same, and that was to work with your dog with the five core exercises. Um, and I'll give an example. So, like the first exercise was called pushing, and what pushing is is essentially a way to hand feed your dog. So we're taking the food out of the bowl, um, we're we're hand feeding with our dog, and we're trying to actually mimic what it felt like those thousands of years ago to hunt together. Because um, again, we're we're now dealing with domesticated dogs that they have no job. They have no, you know, they don't work together with us to accomplish a goal anymore. They're just kind of there when we get home, or they're, you know, and and we love that about them. They're they're definitely emotionally supportive animals, um, but we no longer have that tactile uh, feeling and and practice with them, where we're actually moving and 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 conquering some sort of goal together. They certainly don't help us to uh, get the uh, gather the groceries. That's for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I have seen a couple funny TikToker or um, Facebook videos of of dogs helping with shopping and getting things out of the fridge and 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 such, but nothing compared to what they used to be able to do. Um, so the the pushing technique is um, the hand feeding. You you basically it's almost like what a trust fall would feel like with your dog, um, but from your dog's perspective. So when a human does a trust fall, they, they turn their back, they, and they just kind of trust that the persons or people behind them are going to catch them. And so you have to kind of be vulnerable in that situation. And for a dog, when a dog is eating, especially when it's hand feeding, um, as soon as its mouth is occupied, it's vulnerable. Um, it's no longer able to defend itself. Um, so with the push exercise, you're asking your dog to trust you and to give you its energy um, and kind of, you know, move this this energy inside of it with you, um, all while trusting that it's it's perfectly safe and that you, you know, you can catch it, so to speak. I, I get the gist of it. You're basically, the reason it's called the push is because the dog is actually pushing into you to get to that food in your hand. So you can use your leg or your, your other arm, and you're basically putting it out as an obstacle that the dog has to lean into, almost to the point of actually, um, you know, the goal would be to get the front paws even off the ground as it's eating the food out of, your, out of the feeding hand. Um, and so you even get to the point where, um, you know, usually dogs who have uh, anxiety issues or... Um, you know, they don't, they, they are nervous around strangers. They have a very hard time doing this and they don't necessarily lean that far in. Um, and so over time you really get them to where they're even pushing you across the, the lawn or across the rooms, um, to get to that food in that other hand. And it seems, you know, it seems very benign, like, okay, so my dog can push me across the room and eat food out of my hand. Like, how does that help my dog? How does that help my situation? Um, and it's doing a lot of different things. So it's allowing your dog to feel like it's hunting with you. It's getting that feeling, that tactile touch of moving, physically moving energy with you. And then on another 
landscape, it's exercising that trust muscle that, you know, the dog is learning to trust and that it can lean into the human and it can trust uh, being vulnerable with a human. And then you also have um, the, the final piece besides just the, the, the moving the energy and pushing and, and trusting, you're actually building attraction to your dog. So if your dog is nervous or shy, especially around strangers, um, we are a, a predatory force. We walk upright, we have big eyes, we have big teeth. You know, we, we might not be a, a mastodon or a lion or anything like that, but we are a very predatory energy in nature. Um, we're, we're at the, the near top of the food chain in, in most places. Um, I, I would say I wouldn't be in the jungle, but I definitely am in the, in the supermarket. <laughs> so the dog, you know, we're asking a lot of them to, even when we call their name for them to come over to us, like we think it's, it's so, you know, we don't, we take it for granted that the dog can just come running over. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually very hard for them to, to approach a human. Um, again, you see it more in the wolves. That's why, you know, we're not domesticating wolves. Um, but dogs obviously chose way back in the day. They were the wolves who said, you know what, I'm going to hang out with that guy. Um, you know, they seem, they seem pretty strong and, and, you know, they're, they're pretty predatory, but I think I can run with them. I think I can, you know, make this work. And, so now that we don't have that connection and we don't, we don't work together over that common goal, um, we're starting to see a, a kind of recession. Dogs are, are more and more timid around humans, are more and more timid with their owner, and the recall is just going out the window. Um, so when you're asking your dog to come back when called, it's, you know, you're, you've got to take into account, like, it's not that they're just distracted or they just don't want to come. Um, a lot of times it's just hard because you are a predator and they feel like prey when they're around you. And so to come that close and to trust that they are safe with you is a big deal. So, so that exercise, that's what that exercise can really build in the dogs. What about the, what about the other four? Don't go into them. I don't need to give away all of your tips, but can you just touch on what they are? Are they to do with, for example, walking the dog or of course. connecting with the dog or? Yep. So, so, um, so that one is pushing and obviously it plays in a lot to recall and different things like that confidence. Then you have the collecting exercise, which is the equal opposite of the push. And that is where you, um, basically the dog learns what we would consider to be impulse control. It's learning how to maintain its energy or collect its energy in its hind end in a, in a backward way. Um, so almost as if by being still and relaxed, you're willing the, what you want to come to you. Um, the law of attraction is brought up a lot of times when we discuss this. And while it's not the same, it is, it is similar if you understand the law of attraction, which is if you just are relaxed, calm, confident, you know what you want, the things will come to you. And so in this modern day, in our society, um, even human collecting is not very much encouraged. If you want something, you have to go get it. You have to work for it. You have to do something. You can't just sit back and things are just delivered to you. That's not how the world works. But unfortunately, if with a dog, if you are constantly rewarding them doing something and you're not rewarding them when they are relaxed and calm, you're sending the message that, okay, you have to be up and going and moving and doing something if you want my attention, if you want a treat. You know, you have to be doing a paw. You have to be running around in a circle. You have to be 
um, you know, sitting, staying, um, all these different tricks for treats. But how does the dog know or when the dog feels to relax, like everything, you know, the energy in the house is, is coming down. It's time for, for a Netflix movie and we're, we're going to be going to sleep. But your dog doesn't know how to do that. You know, it's, it's like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't get rewarded for, for relaxing. I don't get rewarded for just chilling out and doing nothing. And so a lot of dogs become neurotic. They become obsessed with, you know, when things stop moving, they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know how to feel mm. good in that. So a lot of dogs who have separation anxiety or um, they just have, you know, they have a really hard time focusing uh, on their owner, especially around distractions, then they need a lot of collecting. They need to, they need that collecting muscle to be exercised and learn that, you know, it's not always I have to go get it. Um, I also can just sit back and let it come to me. Awesome. So you, you want to be able to do both. You want to be a go-getter, but also be able to chill and let things come to you as well. Sounds like training my children. I very often kind of, <laughs> I notice when they've done really well and they're calmly getting on with their work or my son's doing his Lego and I'll go up to them and I'll say, Stan, this is really cool that you're involved in this project and you're just getting on and doing it. And then I'll say to him, would you like me to bring you some stuff, you know, some pancakes or yeah and i literally it's literally with subtly without him probably even realizing i'm rewarding him for just being in his own space holding his own you know his own project together and i'll bring him some pancakes and he'll he'll sit and eat them and he'll think he's the luckiest boy in the world and the same thing with the dogs they're lying by the fire quietly the two boys lying next to each other and i'll just bring them up completely out the blue it doesn't happen that often but I'll just bring them a couple of little biscuits and there you go, boys. And they'll just go, what? We get this just for lying in front of the fire together calmly. Exactly. Yep, that's it. That's how it works. So I totally get it. Are you able to touch on the other three very briefly? Do you mind? Yeah. Just to tease people, just to those people kind of going, oh, this sounds great. I want to know more. And then uh, we'll, we'll tell people where they can really find out all about it if they're interested. So, yeah. Of course. So the, the third exercise would be the speak. Um, and it's basically breath work for your dog. If anybody's ever done a breath class, um, you know, you're, you, it, a perfect example would be somebody breathing, having an anxiety attack and like huffing and puffing away like, <gasps> and, you know, somebody hands them that paper bag and goes, just take a deep breath. Well, you know, concentrate on your breath, catch your breath, take a deep breath. Um, you know, how do you communicate that to a dog? Like a lot of our dogs behavioral issues stem around your dog essentially having a panic attack. It's going into that, um, the, the polyvagal, I believe it's the sympathetic nervous system where it's, it's becoming a survival mode. And, you know, how do you get it out of that? How do you get it to calm back down and get it back into the, the parasympathetic to where it can actually negotiate those social situations? Um, so with the, the speak, you're essentially just teaching it how to take a nice, deep breath. And with a dog, that is generally a bark, a nice, deep metered bark. Yeah. Um, they, call, they call some people uh, chest breathers or mouth breathers. Um, you, want, you want your dog taking that nice, big breath from its, its gut, its diaphragm. You want a nice, deep bark. You're not looking for those crazy reactive barks, um, you know, those yippy, yappy dogs that they say. No. Um, you, you want your dog to be able to just nice metered bark. My, uh, my dog is the best at this. He's called Jack and he's a very confident, powerful dog. He's part Catahoula 
and he's got the biggest chest and he does the biggest woo woo you know but he will do that whilst he's lying on his side on a couch <laughs> looking looking at the gate where there's a person who's about to come through the gate ah. and there's a huge booming bark because he's got a huge chest good breathing good lungs and he's warning them, saying, hey, don't mess around. But, yeah, I, I can't be bothered to get off the uh, couch. I was going to say, I bet you with that nice deep meter bark, he has no need to move or he's, like, very no. confident. I let him know, you know, I connected yep. with him. He knows that I know. And I'm able to remain calm. Yep. Yeah, I know. I'm here. It is. It's exactly like that. You know, the, the guy says, girl, I love your dog. He barked at me, but he didn't even get off the couch. It's like, yeah, he knows. He knows that you know, and you know that he knows that you know. And yeah. we've made it very clear. Don't mess around. You can come through the gate, but behave. Yep. Um, Kevin would say that, you know, a lot of the dogs that get the reactive barking, the FedEx guy or the person out the window, the problem becomes that they can't, you know, again, they can't feel, they get disconnected from their body. They see the person coming up and they don't feel that confidence of, you know, like I can stay in my body. I can stay in this space and be safe and comfortable. I don't have to, I don't have to get up and run and bark, you know, reactive bark or, or try and attack him. Um, I feel by, especially by giving a boof like that, um, by being able to have that breath, he feels totally you know, he, Kevin would say, Kevin prefers to say feel versus no. Um, he would always contest that. In fact, it's what got him in a lot of trouble, um, in the beginning yeah. with the, the scientific community is he would postulate that, you know, dogs don't think they go by feel, you know, they're not like us. They don't have that highly developed, um, uh, prefrontal cortex. They have they, their system is designed to feel, and it doesn't mean they're not intelligent. They're very intelligent. They just, they, they go by feel. Yes. Um, and I would say it's actually an even, I, you know, most dogs, I wish I could tap into that. Um, I would know a lot more and I would, I would probably navigate the world a lot better if I was able to go more by feel like they do. Yeah. Instinct and intuition is so powerful. It's so underrated. So um, not talked about, but if you actually speak to a lot of the top CEOs, that's what they're going off. Yep. You know, the top, top people who are at the top of their game, they're going off a feeling. They're not relying anymore on what the CV says. CV of somebody may say they're this and they're that, and they're, but you know, when you, when you're trying to employ somebody for a really top job and your gut is just saying that uh, this person's the right one, you, you know, a lot of people say you go with your Go with your gut instinct, go with your instinct, go with what you're feeling. Yeah. Oh, that actually, that's perfect. Um, I have a beautiful Kevin story for that. Um, yeah, yeah, share it. Yeah, it's, it's a quick enough one here. So Kevin, um, he did eventually go back into training protection dogs um, again, but he used his method versus his dad. And he had this one German Shepherd that he trained for... Um, a really, uh, I forget what his actual job was. I believe what he was in finances. Um, and he was in Connecticut and he basically, the dog was raised by Kevin, um, when he was a puppy and then given to, to the owner as a protection dog. And so the owner called him up one day and said, Kevin, we need to set up a lesson. You know, something really strange happened. Um, I, I forget the dog's name, but his dog had essentially become reactive and aggressive with somebody who had come to his door, a, a, a new business colleague. And 
you know, Kevin was like, well, that's odd, but of course, yes, let's set up the, the lesson. So they set it for, um, you know, a week or two down the road. And in the meantime, he ended up getting another call from the same owner and the owner said, never mind, forget it. Like the dog was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. And what had happened was this owner was actually having a lot of doubts about this new business partner and he didn't quite um, something didn't quite sit well with him. And of course, the dog was picking up on that and reacted to that when the guy got to the door. You know, he basically was expressing the owner's intuition and the owner's gut feeling about this person. And it turned out they were both spot on. Um, the, uh, the, the gentleman, the business partner, did end up being a, a shady con man that he wanted no, no business with at all. Wow. Um, so he canceled the lesson and he said, no, nope, the dog is is doing perfect work <laughs> like I'm completely satisfied my uh, wife works a lot with horses and um, she often says and this is stuff she's experienced herself and also stuff she's learned from some of the top trainers you know reading books or you know um, and working with some of the top trainers around the world is the horse and I'm sure the dog is similar the horse can't stand that incongruence where you are maybe trying to act a certain way but you're feeling something totally different. Yes. She says, that's horses. Where you, When you're faking it, the horse goes, you're faking it. You're a fake. Exactly, yes. And so their instinct and intuition go, you know, it might be that your heart is absolutely racing and you're scared and you're sweating. The horse goes, you're scared, you're nervous, but you're trying to act all calm. And I can tell them. And I'm sure dogs are similar to a degree. They, they just can see yeah. there's something. They can see this. Yeah. They're, well, so dogs and horses are one of the two animals that evolved with us for a long period of time. Yep. And yeah. um, Kevin would agree, yeah, dogs and horses are very, very similar. Um, and a yeah. dog, essentially what dogs are acting on uh, most of the time, especially when their behavior does not match up to, to the situation. You know, anytime your dog does something, you're like, what? Like, why did he do that? It's generally because the dog is not listening to what you're saying, what you're speaking. The dog is listening to what's going on inside. So if you have that incongruence, they will act upon it. Um, in fact, yeah. Yeah. Kevin would say that's their job is to bring that to the surface and to make you aware of this disconnect between your, your brain and your body and your, your heart um, and that intelligence of your intuition. And, and sometimes I think it's so subtle that we don't even realize what we've done, but the dog can tell. It maybe our heart rate's changed and our breathing's changed or we've tightened or t gone tense, um, but the dog can spot it. And that's their, that's their real genius. I, I once had a, a video um, well, I say I once had. I, I remember watching a video that I'd captured once of a, a lady who was saying her dogs are always reactive. And we caught it on camera. And what happened was, as she was walking down the road, um, she would always tense. And, and what happened was, you can see mm -hmm. the tiniest little tension in her wrist just as she starts to walk past um, the dog that we were kind of practicing with. And up to that point, the dog was fine. But the second her hand tensed on that leash, right. the dog felt it and the dog just reacted. And um, she didn't even realize she'd done it until we watched the replay video. So, yeah, they, they feel everything. Right. Yeah. No, they're, they're usually very, um, and myself included, I learned a lot when I started this process with my own dogs. It's They call them blind spots or Kevin would call them blind spots. They you need another person to see it. It's not something that you can see on your own. You need an other, you need a dog, you need yeah. 
a person, a horse. You need something to, to show you or to express what you can't see yourself. Do you need a mirror? Yes, exactly. Oh, dog is your mirror. Exactly. So are you happy to touch on the other two? We've gone through three. It's great. Yep. Two more. <laughs> um, so the, the fourth exercise would be called the rub-a-dub. Um, and this is actually more of a massage technique. I actually had a, a lesson today where we went over this and the owner was just so excited because it's not just about, okay, this is how you pet or touch your dog. Um, you do it in this specific way. But part of it is really tuning into your dog's body language and what kind of touching they like. Um, and I usually assign them, um, again, given their capacity, some owners, I, I tell them they have to go a week without petting their dog. They can't instigate the, the petting. They have to, their dog has to be the one to initiate it. Their dog has to come over and, and lean into them and, and, you know, quote unquote, request uh, the, the petting. Um, some, some owners I can tell it's, it's going to be a hard sell. And so, you know, I tell them try three days of it, but really it's more about becoming aware of the dog's autonomy and what the dog is comfortable with. Um, really getting them to pay attention to, okay, how much does my dog like being pet? Like, is it coming over all the time or am I the one that's constantly going over to it and touching it? And, um, you know, and again, it's not wrong to want to pet your dog, um, but it is cool to get a, a baseline and see kind of where they're at and where their comfort zone is of being touched. A little bit of respect both ways. Yes. Yep. So this is very much sounds like a connection, real connection and respect and learning sensitivity and, and awareness. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there is, it does also coincide with the polyvagal nerve, the way that you, um, massage the dog you're, you're doing, um, from its, its cheeks, like its jaws, um, down to its shoulders and then back down the spine. And then you generally do it, um, up and down again, gauging the, the dog's comfort level. And the goal would be to get the dog so relaxed and activate, um, uh, the the tone the polyvagal tone to where the dog literally just rolls over in rapture uh, it's so calm and relaxed it's beautiful. so chilled out beautiful love it i'm just picturing my big dog jack who just <laughs> he's got a head like a rock um and and he just loves that head massage behind his ears on the top of his skull he's got these pointy gnarly bony bits on his skull he just loves it being really pushed really hard he oh, goes all floppy so yeah just give him a massage when i'm done <laughs> brilliant and uh the fifth exercise all right the fifth exercise is called the bite and carry now this um all of them really work off the the hunting instincts the prey drive but this is the this is the real exercise that feels like you just went out and hunted with your dog um and essentially it's it's you use a tug toy um, or a bite toy. Um, some of them are like bite pillows or a, a tug rope. Um, and the, the goal is to, A, the dog gets to feel like it wins. Um, so it's really important that when you go out and you play tug, and I know this is a very opposite of what a lot of, of trainers back in the day would say, um, you know, total equal opposite, where normally they would tell you, you have to make sure you win so it knows who's in control and who's in charge. But um, as Kevin's model would, would postulate, it's about, you know, the, if you want a confident dog that's calm and relaxed and can navigate social situations, you don't want them to be fearful. Um, you want them to be confident in themselves. My wife and I often joke about the game, I don't know if you have it in America, called Pass the Parcel, where you pass it round and round. 
and uh, and you take off a layer of wrapper and at the end somebody wins the prize and my wife and I often joke that that trains you in the art of disappointment <laughs> <laughs> no we don't have that game that sounds fun though oh it's dreadful it's a horrible game I'm glad you don't have it but it reminds me of that when the dog always loses it's like let me train you in the art of being disappointed and get used to it because it happens all the time it's like right no that's not yeah let the dog win and yeah as long as you can eventually call the dog over and they give you the toy back then yeah, where's the problem right and i mean it does in in the end it becomes a mutual thing so you you tug with the dog you let it win and then you encourage it to bring the toy back over and push it into you for more tugging so it, it's you know it's you're you're working with the dog and it's the difference between this game and all the other games the fetch game the um you know many wrestling with your dog it feels like by doing it in, in the way that Kevin developed, it feels like you and the dog just went out, you know, like it felt 50,000 years ago and hunted together and brought home. Um, it's called the bite and carry. You, yeah. you do the tug, the dog wins the tug, but then eventually you end up carrying the tug together. You carry the toy together um, back to the house or, you know, in a circle or where, wherever you're at. You just get the feeling of carrying it together, of winning it together. Um, and it's really important because, again, we've taken these animals who way back in the day were like, yeah, I want to hang out with that guy. I want to catch prey with that guy. And then we have totally, you know, it feels like we've completely forgotten their history and what they've evolved to do. Yes, they're cute, cuddly dogs and they are great emotional support animal. You know, they're, they're, they're great like that and they are our best friend. But, you know, what about those instincts and drives? They're still, they still come from wolves. Like we still have to to give them that. And if we don't give them an outlet like that, then they're going to find one. And as a dog trainer, you know, it's usually something that I'm a called for. <laughs> my dog is eating my couch or my dog is fighting with other dogs or my dog is getting aggressive with humans. The, the dog that is doing that has essentially has found a hunt, a way to get those hunt instincts, those prey drives and work with them. Um, but usually it's not congruent. It, it doesn't, it's not efficient or effective in the human world. And so it causes a lot of friction and it causes a lot of tension between dogs and their owners. And this bite and carry game really just answers the question for both of them. Like your dog is saying, what do I do with this energy? What do I do with these instincts? What do I do with all this drive? Like, I don't know what to do with it. And this game, um, it, it gives them the answer and it doesn't just give them any answer. You know, it's the difference between a gas station instant coffee and a Starbucks coffee. Um, you know, they feel mm. the difference. They, they may have, have chosen to let it out on a couch and, you know, they're constantly tearing up furniture or destroying their blanket or toys or whatever, but it never feels like it works. It, it, it addresses the problem. It releases some of the, the built-up um, drive in them, but it never actually solves the problem like the bite and carry. It doesn't feel as good. And so when you start playing this game, it starts siphoning that energy that they're putting into all those problem behaviors into the game instead. And they start saving it and going, oh yeah, no, I see the, the mailman's coming up the driveway today, but I'm not hunting the mailman anymore. I'm saving it for bite and carry with dad. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm going to put it into. It works with the nature of the dog. That's what I love about the... Uh... Exactly. So, Your Dog is Your Mirror. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful place to start. But also, you have your own training uh, program and facility that you're setting up. Uh, 
Amanda, are you happy to share a little bit more about yourself and where people can find out about you or where they can find out more about this method, whatever, wherever you'd like to, people who are interested in finding out more, where should they go next? Well, if, if you're interested in finding out more about natural dog training, um, I can't stress enough um, besides the book. Uh, Kevin does have a website still set up where he has also um, written a ton of blogs. I mean, you can dive as deep as you want into this method. Uh, a lot of, of his apprentices, me included, feel that what Kevin has developed is, it, it is a training model and it is a way to build rapport with dogs, but it's also, you know, it, it goes beyond that. Um, like I said, I used to study uh, human psychology and his theory of behavior um, does, does apply to humans. Um, and so, yeah, if you're really interested in diving a lot more deeper into the theory, um, I highly encourage you to visit his website, naturaldogtraining.com, and reading any of his, his hundreds of, of blog posts. Um, you know, definitely be ready to dig in. He, is, he's, he likes to use highly intellectual language, but it's worth the, it's worth the read for sure. Beautiful. Um, if you're looking for more practical help, more training help, then I definitely encourage you to join the Natural Dog Training Study Group, um, where I and uh, a lot of his apprentices are actively giving advice um, and helping owners with training questions, um, model questions. You know, if you want to know more about how to do natural dog training with your dog and apply it, um, that is a, a much more practical resource. Um, so I highly encourage that. And where can they find that? Uh, so there is a link right on his website, naturaldogtraining.com. Um, and I do believe I, I shared the link with you so you can put it on. Yeah, I think it's just forward slash study group. Yeah. So I'll, I'll add all those links onto the page. If you're listening to this, then, uh, if so, all of this will be transcribed. This, this podcast will be on my website, which is the online dog forward slash natural dog training. That sounds like a wrap, Amanda. It's been fascinating. It's been really, really fun. Very informative. Is there anything else you would like to share before we wrap up? Um, no, just thank you for in inviting me on this and, and for taking an interest in Kevin's work. Um, I'm just happy. Um, way back in the day when, when I read that book and it changed my life, uh, I knew that I wanted to make it a goal of mine to spread awareness of Kevin's model uh, as far as wide as as I can. So I'm very excited that you invited uh, me to speak on here. So thank you so much for that opportunity. Um, and yeah, I, I do enjoy also listening to some of the other podcasts that you've recorded. Um, uh, I had a, a 12 hour drive the other day that I thankfully had plenty to listen to. And it's really cool what you're doing and the type of people you invite on. And I really like um, how eclectic it is. Oh, uh, thank you. You definitely are very diverse in your guests. Yeah. yeah, so I appreciate that. Keep up that. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. So in memory and in honor of Kevin Behan, thank you so much for being here. And uh, thank you, Kevin, for your beautiful work, for the book, Your Dog is Your Mirror, for the natural dog training method that you brought to planet Earth. So that's it, guys. You've been listening to another edition of the Doggy Dan podcast show where we believe inside every dog is a good dog and inside every good dog is a great dog. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan podcast show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog.